Thank you. Thank you, Joe. Yes, Tom Phillips, uh, what am I doing here? Well, Joe's answered that part of the question. That's right. Um, I'm here to lead a, a, men's, a men's retreat. <clears throat> the subject was based upon Galatians 5.1, for freedom Christ has set us free. I thought that was a timely subject because of freedom, uh, that, freedom is the mark of being an American as well as the mark of being a Christian, and I wanted to explore the idea of what was the interface between Christian freedom and American freedom. So that's what we talked about this weekend. And then I have a, a number of relationships here that are, are celebrated, and I'm here to rekindle those relationships with Joe, with Dave Nix, and his wife Sarah, who actually met in my, in my living room uh, back when Moby Dick was a guppy, and, uh, and, and have some friends here in the parish we keep running into, and Joe said, like down in, uh, in um, South Carolina, and I've discovered a relationship with Maggie over here. We have a connection that goes back to Worcester College, and I keep running into you folks, so I feel like I'm as a home away from home. I don't want to be presumptuous. So I'm here because I'm here to preach. I'm here because I wanted to lead and was asked to lead that men's retreat. And I'm here more than anything else because I keep asking myself three questions in my ministry. The first question is, what is the center of personal what is the center of personality? What is the center of human personality? Is it the mind? Is it the, is it the pelvis, the stomach? Is it the heart? What is the center of human personality? And that's a very important question, especially when you see that the principal strength of the United States is in proclaiming the freedom of the person. We believe in personal freedom. So if we believe in personal freedom, exactly what are we giving freedom to? The mind, the will, or the emotions? That's, a, that's one of the questions I keep asking myself. The second question is, what am I doing here? What's the, what's the role of the ministry? Why am I a ministry? Why are you a ministry? What is your ministry? What is the purpose of the ministry? And finally, the third question I keep asking myself is, what in the world is Jesus doing? What is Jesus doing? Those three questions. I'm going to focus those three questions on the question of the gospel this morning and the men's weekend. The center of human personality, the mind, the will, or the emotions. We live in a society that focuses on one or the other. If we talk about the emotions, the visceral, the pelvis, we can talk about athletics, the, the, the strength that comes from the body, a focus, the focus on the body. The other is a focus on the mind. And we are, we are a nation that's captivated by the power of the mind, especially in its ability to produce technology, the role of the genius. And we honor the genius. We want to raise up the genius in our midst because they can do so much, Stephen Jobs being uh, an immediate uh, reference point to that. Or the will. Do we celebrate the will as the center of human personality, the will? The mind the will, the emotions. Where is the center? Now, the, the important question is, if you're going to talk about freedom, in what area of life are you wanting to let free be free? Are you going to let the pelvis be free, the mind be free, or the heart to be free? That's a challenge for us. Where are we going to find freedom? If you say we're going to have freedom in all those parts, then I say that that's not an answer because that's just going to breed a sort of chaos because who's in charge of you? your mind, your will, or your emotions. So that's the first question. What, how does freedom address the center of human personality? The second is, what am I here for? What is the purpose of the ministry? 
If the question about the center of human personality focuses on, on freedom, then the purpose of the Christian ministry has also to focus on freedom. Because Galatians 5.1 says, for freedom, Christ has set us free. Freedom is at the very heart of the Christian gospel. What does that mean? So, and what is Jesus doing? What, what, is, what in the world is Jesus doing? And that focuses on the gospel this morning. So I'm trying to put together these two things, what that men's retreat was all about, which was freedom, and what the gospel is about, which is what must I do to inherit eternal life. So hang with me. This is going to be an exciting route, I hope. It is for me at least. Okay, let's begin with freedom and say that there are, um, we have to define freedom. And freedom is defined in three ways. There are three dimensions to freedom. I'm going to use a lot of triads in this sermon, by the way, so take notes and not to get confused um, or hope. There's freedom from. And in the United States, freedom from seems to take center stage. Freedom from oppression, freedom from tyranny. But what tyranny are we talking about? Well, it was freedom from the tyranny of Great Britain back in 1776, for the French in 1789, it was freedom from the Bourbons. In 1917, it was a freedom in Russia from the Tsar. In 1949, it was freedom from corrupt colonialism that had destroyed China. In 1965, it was in, Cam- in Cambodia, it was freedom from colonial powers again, the influence of the French and the Americans. In Mexico in 1905, it was freedom from Napoleon Bonaparte's family. Each one of these has experienced a a war of independence from that tyranny. But if you go to the Gospels, you see that tyranny, the escape from tyranny, is not just political and out there. Get away from the bad guy out there who's oppressing us. In Christianity, in Jesus Christ, there's also an awareness of a tyranny, a, a freedom from a tyranny from within. And in the Gospels, it's a tyranny from fear. Freedom from the tyranny of fear, freedom from the tyranny of death, and freedom from the tyranny of sin. Now, what's really interesting is this. The New Testament has very little room to talk about freedom externally, freedom or political freedom. There is no agenda in the New Testament or no mandate to strive for political independence. It's not there. Jesus stridently and adamantly refused to identify himself with the cause of Jewish freedom from the Romans. Rather, the focus of Jesus is freedom from those things that corrupt the human spirit. And there's a sense to that. The long line of of Jewish history found in the Old Testament shows that unless you find freedom from within, you'll never experience freedom from without you will always find yourself falling to some sort of captivity unless you first find freedom from within. That's one of the things we said on our men's retreat. So there is those aspects of freedom, freedom from tyranny, both external and internal, but in the New Testament with Jesus Christ, we look at freedom from within, those things that challenge us from within first. Oh God, who, Almighty God, from whom no heart, hearts are open, to all hearts are open, no secrets are hid. Cleanse the thoughts of our hearts by the inspiration of your Holy Spirit. That's celebrating and discovering an internal freedom 
because if you don't have that right, you'll never be able to move on to the next. So there is, first of all, freedom from. There's a second aspect of freedom, that triad of freedom. There's a freedom for. We were talking about that in, in, in the men's weekend, and we have a freedom for doing good things. We have a freedom to go to college. We have freedom in this country to pursue a career, a work, to pursue getting your gifts together, to finding a way of maximizing those gifts. And we're free to do those good things. We're free to do that. But thirdly, there's a freedom in. Freedom from, freedom for, and freedom in. And here's the challenging part is unless you discover a freedom in, you will never be able to maximize freedom out and freedom from. What do I mean from freedom in? Well, look, my sons played soccer when they were eight years old. Have you ever seen eight-year-old kids play soccer? They don't play soccer. They chase the ball. For one, it's just a, a cluster of kids going all over the field like that, chasing wherever the ball is. One day, the referee didn't show up, and the kids wanted to play soccer. And so, because I knew some of the rules of soccer, I was conscripted to be the referee. Now, I don't know that I did all that great a job, but I do know this. By knowing the rules and getting those kids sorted out, they were able to go from chaos to order, from merely chasing the ball to playing soccer. That is freedom in, freedom in knowing the rules, free in knowing how things work. Unless you know that, you will squander your freedom. It will just be leveled out like a puddle or an amoeba. And that's true for everything. If you want to be a dancer, you know, there's one thing to go out to the high school dance and bop around and, you know, do that. But there's another thing to go to be a ballerina or a contemporary dancer or a jazz, a, 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 a jazz dancer. There's a discipline involved in dance. And you know, the more you know the discipline, the more freedom you have in expression. So the ballerina is much more free in her dance because there's so much more that she can express and communicate in her dance than just flapping around like an amoeba on the dance floor. And I'm not prejudiced. It's fun to go to a high school dance, but there are limits. Freedom in the disciplines of, of dance. Freedom in the disciplines of music. Now, you can go and just do three chords on the guitar if you want to, but if you really want to be a, a good guitarist, you're going to have to know the disciplines of jazz chords and the discipline of classical guitar picking and strumming. If you can get those two things and master those things, then you will discover that the guitar is a wonderful instrument to express yourself, to express freedom. If you want to be a free person, then you need to know the disciplines of freedom itself. There's a freedom in the disciplines of life, the disciplines which we call in the Christian faith the disciplines of discipleship. If you, if you learn and give yourself in your heart to the disciplines of the Christian faith, then you will find a freedom in your faith to express it and to live it. So there's a freedom from, a freedom for, and a freedom in. That's distinctive. I just want to say this, that when it says in Galatians 5.1 that for freedom Christ has set us free, I've looked in all the other, in all the other faith traditions, and you know something that's really quite unique for St. Paul to say that the heart of Christianity is that Jesus has come to set us free. 
And I think that that freedom has all of those dimensions, freedom from, freedom for, and freedom in, especially freedom in Christ. So that brings me to what I was here for with the men. Now I'm in talking about the gospel. And if we have a triad of freedom for the men's creed, freedom from, freedom in, freedom for, and from, for, and in, when we come to the gospel, we find not the triad of freedom, but a triad of death. Freedom or death. Now, where do I get that? I get that from the rich young ruler who comes up to Jesus, and it says, it says that he's a rich young ruler. And then he comes up to Jesus and he says, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Boy, there's a wealth of information in there. Good teacher. Do you know that no place else in the gospel is Jesus called good? Do you know that? So you have to ask your question, why is this guy calling Jesus good? Why is he using that adjective? And the answer is that there is great power in adjectives. If I, call, if I say to you, oh, you're just a wretched person, or you're just, a, you're just an inexperienced college student, or you're a greedy person, or you're fat, or you're ugly, there's great power in that, isn't there? The use of adjectives gives you power. And, you know, I say that because that's exactly what the rich young ruler is doing with Jesus. He's exercising a power. He is saying that he is good, and Jesus captures that. He says, why do you call me good? Do you, do you really know what you're saying? Why do you call me good? And the reason he's calling him good is because a rich and powerful young man, he wants to be in the position of naming who Jesus is. That's a, a claiming for himself a position of power. I can name who Jesus is, and Jesus will have none of it. Do you know that there's none good but God? Do you know that? So don't think that you're good. And if you call me good, do you know what you're saying? You're saying that I am God. Are you prepared to say that? What must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, I don't want to be too hard on this young man because it says that Jesus looked at him and loved him. But I want to tell you that Jesus loved him not because of anything that was in that man. It was because of something that was in Jesus' heart that he was preconditioned to love this man. But this man also represents something. He represents a whole system. Just like in America, we have a system of freedom that goes in, for, and from. That rich young ruler represents a system, a system that we recognize in our own country, and that system has a triad to it. And that triad, then as now, is a triad of power, sex, and money. And it works together in a triad like this. It goes like this. Power attracts sexuality. Sexuality attracts money. And money attracts power. And it goes in this triad, this cycle of death. How do I know it's a cycle of death? Because this young man who represents that triad of death is not satisfied. He's got money, he's got power, and presumably, well, we're not told, but we do know that the wealthy in that age, as in any day, any age, have license to practice a sexuality, which we saw with Herod and his daughter, 
who, who danced at the head at the cost of John the Baptist's head. Money, sex, and power. But it's not enough. My dear friends, it's never enough. What must I do to inherit eternal life? Because money, power, and sex come to an end. I know it. Now, just a little footnote. Take this down. What must I do to inherit eternal life is not the same thing as saying, what must I do to go to heaven? The current understanding in most Christian churches and with most Christians is that heaven is a spiritual, ethereal existence that happens after death, and when I die, I want to go to heaven. So that answers the question, what is my role in life as a minister? What is the role of the ministry? Is it to get people into heaven? And I say, no. My goal in ministry is to get heaven into you. That's a tremendous difference. N.T. Wright, Joe, also says that heaven, as we currently understand it in the Christian churches, is the soul leaving the body and going up to some ethereal place. And you hopefully know that that's not a Christian idea, it's not a Jewish idea, it's not a biblical idea. The biblical idea captured by Jesus Christ is not dying and go to heaven. It's dying and coming back to life again in the resurrection. The Old Testament and the New Testament proclaim that there's a resurrection of the body, a resurrection of the person, resurrection of human personality. Because God in the coming age, the future age, is going to come back and restore the creation that has fallen apart. So when he's talking about eternal life, he's not talking about when the, when the rich and euro says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He's not talking about a two-story universe, which is here the material and up here is the spiritual and we want to go up into the spiritual world. And live. That's a Greek idea. No, what he's saying, what the Jews understood is, what must I do to inherit the coming age? It's not a spatial dimension, it's a time dimension. And the resurrection of the dead shows that there is going to be, with Jesus coming back, not just as a disembodied spirit, but as a living, resurrected physical body, there is going to be a time in physical, time and space, where the new age comes, and this rich young ruler wants to be a member of that new age, that new time. What must I do to get a ticket for that new age? What must I do? That triad of death is something that he knew was not sufficient to get him in to that new age. So then Jesus, it says, looked at him very hard. He looked at him hard. It also says later on that he looked at the disciples very hard. And in the parable of, of the talents, it says that you are a hard man. Do you know that Jesus is hard? He's hard on us. It says at the end of this gospel that you will, if you give yourself to Christ, you will have family and friends and property and fields and all that stuff plus suffering. You follow Jesus, there's going to be suffering. And that's hard, but that's true. There is a hardness to Jesus. But it says out of that hardness, 
And by the way, did you know that the Hebrew word for man is hard? That Jesus expects men to be hard, tough, able to survive, able to persevere, able to hang in. That's what it means to be a man from the biblical perspective. Do you know what it means to be a woman in the biblical perspective? If man is hard, then woman is soft. It doesn't mean she's weak. It means she's a counterpart to man's hardness. That she's the one who brings softness, comfort, encouragement, and healing. So there's a complementarity there. But I want to just focus on the idea that Jesus is hard, and he looked at that man hard. He wasn't going to mess around. He wasn't going to play games with this man. And he looked at him hard. Has Jesus looked at you hard? Has he looked at you right through and penetrated you through your mind, your heart, and your emotions and wants to know exactly what's controlling your life? In what way are you exercising freedom which leads either to life or death? He's asking you that question. He's hard, hard looking at you. Jesus said and implies that there is a freedom from, a freedom for, and a freedom in. If you have come to a point in your life where you have recognized the weakness of the powers of death, giving yourself to power and money and sex and the pursuit of the same, and have come to realize that that's not enough, it's not going to take me, it's not going to prepare me for the coming age, it's not going to prepare me for eternal life, then you're going to have to find the answer that the ultimate freedom is freedom in Jesus Christ. I want to quote a song here that I love. In my younger days, I sang on a guitar. After all is said and done, there is just one thing that matters. Have I done my best to live for truth? Have I lived my life for you? After all is said and done, all my treasure will mean nothing. Only what I've done for love's reward will stand the test of time. Lord, your mercy is so great that you look beyond our weakness and form precious gold from miry clay, changing sinners into saints. May I always sing your praises here in life and ever after, for you've shown me heaven's my true home. When all is said and done, you're my life when life is done. Have you found your freedom? Have you found an escape from the triangle of death? Have you found a life that will take you to the age to come, life everlasting, in Jesus Christ? That is my prayer for you, because that's what Jesus is doing. My three questions... What's the center of human life, human personality? What's the purpose of the ministry? And what is Jesus doing? He's looking hard at you and wanting you to know that his love for you and his ambition for you to spend eternity with him is going to be made possible, not by what you add to your life 
but what Jesus added to his, and that's his death on the cross. That he might show his power for the age to come and be raised from the dead to live everlasting life. Amen? Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we acknowledge that we are a nation that is singled out and unique in its love for freedom. But we also know that freedom in itself can become an idol, that we can waste our freedom in triumphing simply over the things that oppress us or the things that we want to do or obsession with the things that we're in. Help us to know that you are the one who gave us freedom, a freedom that begins from within to be lived without. You, O oh Lord, look hard at us. And in that looking hard at us, invite us to look hard at you and know that you have secured for us that which we could not do on our own. It's in Jesus we pray. Amen.